Thank you for joining us today for another intriguing conversation on all about PR. I'm your host Arunjit Ratan and today's session is brought to you by a special arrangement with PR POI, Public Relations Professionals of India, a fab group of professionals that is dedicated to upskilling the PR community. In the role of a communicator, after a certain level, you have to define your own growth and while doing that, maybe have a shot at creating a completely new designation a role in the industry for yourself and open the door for others while you know some may lament at the lack of a linear progression for growth that should be provided by an organization i for one find it exciting to be in a field that lets you do that for yourself if you get to define your own growth and success wouldn't that be wonderful shouldn't every organization be doing that for the role of a communicator today we speak to a professional who has done just that in this podcast today we speak to bianca ghosh chief storyteller and head of ceo communications at wipro and the co-chair of asia pacific association of communication directors india chapter bianca is a media brand strategy and marketing communications leader she has had a long standing career in news digital communications creative storytelling and marketing at wipro she leads communications and messaging for wipro ceo and also leads storytelling at an enterprise level Additionally, Bianca also serves on Wipro's Diversity Council and runs inclusion programs that help increase diversity and advance opportunity parity. Prior to Wipro, Bianca has held various marketing and communications portfolios with HCL Technologies and has also done a successful stint at a PR agency. Before this, she was a business news journalist for a decade, reporting, anchoring news for NDTV Television, CNBC and Reuters. Well awarded and well respected for her work across various fields, This is a conversation you must listen in on. So let's add her on. Hi Bianca, welcome to the podcast. Aranjit, such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Before we get started on all the list of questions that I have for you, could you share with us, you know, what prompted your move towards communication? Sure. It's primarily the desire to do something different than what I was doing because I felt I was in my comfort zone and I did not see what the next 5 years would look like for me. looking for a change is how i landed up in communication after spending a little over a decade in journalism financial news i said you know there's not a lot of digital newsrooms in this country that are investing in digital newsrooms so my next 5 years are still going to look like what my last 5 years have been and by then i was already doing prime time news anchoring for 4 to 5 hours every day doing big interviews so i was like you know what does tomorrow look like so essentially that's what prompted my move to looking for something that uses the skills the tenacity the ability to make quick decision making all of those skills that one learns as a journalist where can i use that and one of the natural places i sort of pivoted towards was communication how was it looking at the media from the other side yeah it's interesting first i think the realization i had was that when you're a journalist you have a certain power people stop and listen to you and when right. you move to the communication side that was the biggest thing i missed don't mistake me this is not about being in front of a camera being on national television this is the respect that and i'm talking about 2010 11 12 when journalism meant something different it was a vocation and respect that journalists had at that point was something that i found missing when i moved to the pr communication side and so looking at media from the other side so that is one angle the other angle tarun was 
when you're in the middle of something, you forget to see that there are areas of improvement. So when I went to the communication side, I realized looking outside in that there were certain behaviors, certain traditions, certain ways of working inside the journalism media community that possibly needed a rewriting. And it's very difficult to understand that when you're part of it, but when you're looking at it from outside, but with a full view of how it works inside, gives you that ability to differentiate and say that about time for a rejig in how things happened in that world. Absolutely. So what were, you know, some of the biggest surprises that were in store for you when you moved towards communication? Pace was one. Okay. As a journalist, you are used to a different kind of pace altogether. And having spent 10 odd years in television news, the rhythm and the pace of news is very, very different. It's very fast, quick decision making. It's more facts versus opinion, which is exactly the other end of the spectrum when it comes to communication, because communication is all about a narrative, all about deciding what would sound right and feel right rather than what possibly is the fact, right? So opinion versus fact. And so I think that was a huge difference. The pace was very, very different. You wouldn't take quick decisions in the sense that your life didn't depend on the next five seconds of what is going on air. So pace was different. The other thing that was different for me was when you're a journalist, you get paid to tell the news, tell the facts and the information. But when you're on the communication side, it's slightly different. The agenda is not driven by facts, but the agenda is driven by what is the message that we would like to deliver and what is the highlight or what is the feeling that we would like our consumers or our stakeholders to leave this event or see this video and leave with. So I think there were slight shifts, but the centerpiece was the same, which was essentially telling a story, connecting with your audience. And so that was the centerpiece, which stayed the same. Absolutely. That's a very astute observation inside out, I would rather say. And I believe all PR professionals out there would be all the more better for listening to this and making sure that they can rectify this. And I do understand that the pace is very different. Because I believe now you would be able to understand why certain PR professionals would take two hours instead of two minutes to revert to you while you were a journalist. Yeah, of course. But there's another thing that I realized was different. When you are sitting in the hot seat, which is as a journalist, you are used to dealing with the top folks in every, and I'm talking from a business journalism standpoint. I would only talk to CFO. I would only talk to the CEOs and the CFOs and the CIOs, right? But when you move to the other side, the comms, PR, marketing side, there are ways of working in the corporate world which are very, very different, both corporate and agency world, which are very different from how the journalism world works. It's a flat structure. There are far less hierarchies. It's an open door policy in pretty much most newsrooms. I'm obviously talking about my experience in the newsrooms from 2005 to 2012. I'm not talking now because it's a completely different world now. But it was very different because there were far many more hierarchies, corporate language, corporate concerns that you wouldn't have to be aware of as a journalist that you now have to keep in mind. So it's a lot more nuanced business 
a lot more responsible and nuanced industry because a lot depends on your shoulders. It's not just about facts. It's also about how the facts are absorbed and understood by the stakeholders, really. Absolutely. So, you know, when during your stint in communication, given the fact that you have an in-depth understanding of both the worlds, the media as well as the client, as well as communication, what is that one change that you have been successful in creating within your organization where this entire association between triangle of client, media, and the communication team has seemed more seamless. The process has become more seamless. What is that one thing that you've been able to make it happen? I would say mutual respect. Journalists need to respect Mediacom's PR a lot more, which they did not. And on the other side, communications professionals need to understand and respect that journalists work in a different way and their agenda is very different. They are dealing with news, which is very fast-paced and in the early years, and I keep reiterating that because obviously the <laughs> environment that everybody works in right now is very different from a journalism standpoint. In the earlier world, news was driven by facts, truth, not by opinions, not by a corporate agenda. And so understanding and respecting each other's boundaries and their skills is very important. And I think that's something that I have consistently driven through conversations, through helping other people network, giving the other side a view of a ringside view of what goes on, let's say on the journalism side. And so I think that is something that is really important for all of us to understand because a significant part of our work involves working with media, right? Media relations and stakeholder relations. And so respecting the other side, never taking them for granted, always going in prepared, over-prepared, is very important. That's wonderful to hear. I'm sure every person who's there on your team right now would really appreciate you and look up to you for having brought that change in the industry. I hope so. I hope, but, but <laughs> it's a continuous journey, right? Because yeah. there is churn and people come and go. And I just hope that at the end of a stint, they move on with some better understanding of the ecosystem of the people that they need to keep closest to do their business, to do their jobs. And that really comes from being prepared and respecting the other person. Absolutely. And I think that's all we can hope for, that one person at a time, if we can leave them with certain amount of positive learnings, it works. So your role at Wipro is very fascinating. When I was reading your bio as well, it's a very unique role that has been created within the communication industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. It was a risk I took when I was working with HCL at that time, and I was very happy doing what I was doing, and I was doing well. But because I had already reached a point in my career where I was thinking, what more can I do beyond my everyday job? How do I give back to the community? How do I give back to the media industry? And so I do a lot of work outside of it, whether they are taking workshops or mentoring young women in the industry. So the former CMO of Wipro, he found me online doing something and he reached out to me and said, I'd love to have a conversation. And so one thing led to another, a conversation that lasted almost eight months. And I think it was really what he was trying to do was understand what I stand for, my convictions and what is it that I want to do. 
And with that, he gave me an open charter and said that we already have a comms team. We already have a marketing team. I don't need you to come and do these things because it's already taken care of. Come and tell us, help us tell the Wipro story in a different way. I'm giving you a completely open mandate and a role, which is the role of a chief storyteller. And uh, it's going to be a creative role and shape it the way you want to. And so for me, it felt like, is this even true? Because here is a legacy company, India-based company. Do they even understand what this means to make this role successful? Because back in 2016, when I was having this conversation, there were very few people who held this role. So there was a chief storyteller for Microsoft, one for Nike. And that was also the time that I believe Oprah Winfrey announced a chief storyteller for her own network. And so I said that you, you have to have a certain mindset and a certain ability to accept boldness to be able to make this role successful. So should I do it or should I not? So for me, I said, okay, let's take a risk. If it works out, then this will be great. If it doesn't, this will be the best of the worst two years of my life, in which case it won't be the worst. two years, it'll be much less. But, you know, surprisingly, it, I think I've made it work because I love what I do. I have a lot of autonomy and creative freedom to work with our business, to understand what we're doing right, what we are not doing right. And the simple charter I have is to see Wipro from the inside and help tell that story outside. And I have at my disposal, thankfully, because of the entire ecosystem here at Wipro, I'm mm-hmm. able to work with multiple teams, comms, marketing, business, executive leadership, to sort of bring it all together and create a slightly differentiated and unique positioning, both for myself as well as for Wipro. And in a way, I represent Wipro, right? When I do something, I always think of it from the lens to say that, is this something that our customers or partners would like to see Wipro saying or doing? So it's a very responsible and a serious role, even though there is a lot of creativity and innovation and digital communications and videos, et cetera. Those are the tactics. But at the heart of it is a responsible and a serious mindset rather than a job. I look at it as a mindset. And now it's almost going on four years. I also play multiple other roles, but I guess I really enjoy what I do. It's absolutely fascinating. I think this could be one of the end goals for a communication professional to kind of figure out. And I'm sure once the entire industry catches up, you're going to raise the bar again. I hope so. But it's not for the industry. It's more for myself, raising the bar. But I don't think, Saranjit, it's more for an end goal. There is no end goal. For me, this just happened and it's going to be part of my career as I keep growing. I would say that people need to think about different ways to use their skills and make their company benefit from that. Whatever that role is, whether it's VP of marketing or head of PR and communications, It doesn't matter. I guess what really matters is whether or not you're doing what you've been brought in to do and a little bit extra so that you're satisfied with who you are and what you're ending up delivering and bringing to the table and the company benefits from you as well. So I wouldn't call a chief storyteller title as an end goal because it is really a mindset and it's not a job description. I completely agree. For some, it could be the end game or the end goal, but I think people want to continue to grow. They look for various ways of pushing that up even further. So coming to the network that you are a part of, Asia Pacific Association of Communication Directors, India chapter, it's a very unique network that 
I came across. How did this happen? How did you get associated with this? Sure. Thanks for that question. One of the things that I, I do a lot often is meeting people and trying to understand what they do and how they do things. And so I make a lot of friends as I go. It so happened that the gentleman who sort of is the brain behind APACD in its previous avatar, Arun Sudhaman, he and I, we've connected, we've had an opportunity, have had a few opportunities to work together, to be honest. And when APACD was launched in its new avatar, I think early 2020, just in the middle of the pandemic, we were talking and uh, he said, would you, would you like to be a part of it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So it really happened through an existing friendship. And I have never questioned the value that networks like this bring to anybody, whatever stage in their career. So I said, yes, absolutely. And I was also looking at ways to be able to help up-level the communications industry in India. And I said, maybe this is a great win-win for me. So why this network from all the others, apart from the gentleman who referred it to you? I'm sure you must have done your own research on the other multiple networks that are available. Why this one? Simple reason I have, my network is primarily in India and a little bit in the United States because in the last four or five years, I've been primarily, our audience has been in the US. So I have a little bit of a network there. But the Asia Pacific, the growing, the very dynamic Asia Pacific marketing communications landscape is a completely uncharted territory for me. I do not have networks there. I do not know people there. And it's a very fast-paced, fast-growing industry. So for me, the simple or the biggest reason to associate myself with the APACT was the ability for it to open me up to newer markets that I did not hitherto have access to and build a network there. Awesome. So what are the thumb rules that one must keep in mind for the benefit of our listeners, if you can help us understand that? What are the thumb rules that one needs to keep in mind to be able to select a network? How should one go about selecting a network that they would like to join? Sure. I would take a step back, Tarunji, to identify what my goals are. Where am I in my career? What am I looking for? What is missing? When I do that evaluation, it will become clear to me that maybe I'm looking for X as opposed to Y. And that should be the primary driving factor or research point into the networks that exist. There are many, and each of them have their own strengths and they provide and offer different benefits. And so once we understand what is it that we're looking for, are we looking for mentorship? Are we looking to grow our network? Are we looking for upskilling opportunities? Are we looking for a way to find my next job? Whatever the objective is, that's where I would really start doing my research. The second thing I'd look for is memberships. Who belongs to that network and what are they bringing to that network? I would say that you're looking at a network which has a large base, which possibly has all those people from the industry that you've admired and you've wanted to be in touch with. That is such an easy way, I would say, to decide that, say, if Indra Nui, for the lack of a better example, I've admired her and I would want to learn from her. And if I find the opportunity for me to join a network, a community, where Indra Nui participates and contributes, I would definitely want to take that on because there is so much learning to be absorbed from the people in the industry who've been there, done that, 
And I'm a huge believer in the mentor-mentee relationship. And so for me, that becomes a criteria to see who is part of that network. So your end objective, the goals that you want to achieve, that aligned with the member base, the alumni base, and that I think is the sweet spot that you should be looking at when anybody is looking for joining a network. That's very, very relevant advice. So when or rather at what stage should a PR professional join a global network? Is there a right time? Now is the right time. Anytime is the right time. It's a little like life insurance. When we're in our 20s, we ask the question, I mean, I'm, I'm only 20. Should I even look at a life insurance? Right? The answer to that is that you start early to build your wealth. You start early to insure yourself from accidents. It's never too early to start. Similarly, it's never too late to start. But growing your network is something that should be on everybody's radar, whether they're at the start of their career, whether they're getting out of college and thinking about and evaluating what their next steps should be, what career they want ultimately for themselves, or whether they're in the middle of their career. I think that having a network is the simplest way to grow as an individual and as a professional. So investing in a network is exactly the same as investing in yourself. So if you want to invest in yourself, have a growth mindset. If you're ambitious and you want to do more, then I believe you must have a network, whether it is in the form of an organized network like an APAC-D that I am a part of, or whether it is in the form of reaching out to people and just on your own building a network. Either way, it's absolutely essential. But of course, in the early part of the career, it becomes difficult to reach out to people and offer something in return, because I think like any mentor-mentee relationship, it has to be a two-way street. It cannot be a one-way relationship. So in the early parts of one's career, I think it's difficult to build a proposition for what I will be able to offer to you for your time and your advice. So that's where a network really helps. So I would say anybody who's starting out a career is in the first four, five, six, seven years of their career. Absolutely. They should look at joining a network. I love the life insurance example. With last year, with everything going online, is networking across the globe being looked at with a new lens in the post-COVID era? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we are no longer meeting people one-on-one. And so it becomes very difficult to make new connections. When you're at a summit and you bump into somebody or you're at the buffet area just waiting for a cup of coffee, it's so much easier to strike up a conversation, so much easier to network with people, exchange your cards, etc. That doesn't happen anymore. And it's unlikely that in the next one year, it's going to go back to that, what we used to call normal in those days, right? So we're possibly looking at another eight, 10 months of this remote working, socially distanced life. Networking in this time and age is especially critical because as the COVID has taught us, the fragility of relationships and the fragility of businesses. So it's very important to have a strong base and a network that helps you feel confident that okay, if this job isn't working out for me, maybe I'd want to be an entrepreneur or I'm sure I'm going to get another job, right? So that confidence really comes from knowing your worth and that confidence comes from knowing who knows your worth. And that is the value of a network, especially when we're not meeting people and we're not making new friends and new connections in the industry. Networking has taken on a different, I would say, pace and look and feel. Virtually, it's a lot 
difficult to make those new connections, which is where the role of a network is really beneficial, I think. You naturally become part of a wider group of people who have similar aspirations and are looking for the same thing. Similarly, you have people who are much more experienced, bring a different layer of nuance and understanding of the business than you do. So it's both ways, building your network plus learning something new. So I think it's absolutely essential in today's day and age. Completely agree. Though you bring about an interesting point, online networking will be the way forward, at least for the unforeseeable future, till all of us get a vaccine. And I know that you are a huge believer of online networking as well. I see you very active on all platforms. What would be your best advice for people? Let's say basic etiquettes or rules that one needs to follow for online networking. Because when you're online, it also leads to a lot of miscommunication, right? So what are the traps that they should avoid? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question because I'm sure you and I, we both see a lot of communication happening online that leaves a little bit of a bitter taste in our mouth. I would say the first thing that I remember when I communicate online or when I'm on social media, I'm very active on it. The first thing I remember is I am not important. When I'm writing to somebody or I'm reaching out to somebody, it is about them. Why am I reaching out to them? It's not about me. It's not about that I've done this and that and X and Y and I've got these awards and etc. No, it's about the other person. Have the humility to go and research them and tell them very succinctly that this is what I saw you saying or doing. And I really appreciate that idea or that mindset or conversation you were having. And I would love to connect, right? So I think when you start with that humility and when you give the other person the feeling that here is somebody who wants to follow me or connect with me or have a conversation based on something more concrete than saying, oh, I just came across your profile and it looks interesting. Then the communication from there on or the willingness to connect becomes far more pronounced, I think. So that's the biggest thing I remember that I'm not important. If I'm reaching out to you, it's because you have right. something that is of value. And that brings me to the second most important etiquette, which is humility and respect, which also means respecting the other person's time. I've often had examples of people sending me a request for a recommendation on a Friday 10 in the night. And then on a Sunday morning, they're saying, hey, would you, would you please write me a recommendation? You have to respect the other person's time. Whether they are an SVP in an organization or they are a junior manager in an organization, irrespective of where people are in their lives, people have to respect time and they have to give people space, right? So there are gentle ways of following up. And I think those in the industry who are starting out, they need to really think about this because I come across a lot of very aggressive connection requests very salesy connection requests, and a lot of follow-ups. You also have to recognize that sometimes people may not want to connect with you and you have to be able to or be willing to accept that. I don't see that happening. And I would say the third thing that I do personally that I would encourage other people to reflect on is think twice before you click send or you click post. It's very, very important because sometimes in the, at the moment, we're in the middle of a passionate discussion. We forget that our tone can be perceived as being rude, even though our intentions may not be. But right. every footprint that we leave online decides our image. 
So people say that your resume, your skills is essentially what has built your past. What footprint you leave online and what footprint you leave in the minds of people that you are now connecting with, whether online or offline, is going to be your future. So remember that and be polite and research people before reaching out to them, asking for something because nobody, nobody owes us anything. I completely agree. And I think everybody who's in communication should definitely take a look at this because we are the ones that advise our clients to do the same, right? A last couple of questions. I know we're running out of time. You are also involved with a lot of diversity and gender equality panels. Can you talk a little bit about that? And how do you make space in your life for so many networks together and so many things together? Thank you for that question. So diversity and inclusion, I think it is both a part of who I am and what I do. Let me talk about the what I do first. Right from, I would say, my college days back in the 2000, 2001, I was very active in women's rights work and activism. And so that was a, an ongoing thread in my life. So when I joined Wipro, by then I was already doing a lot of work outside of Wipro, which was counseling and mentoring young women in the industry and outside, especially with a focus on women from underprivileged backgrounds. I had already started volunteering pro bono as the communications advisor for a not-for-profit organization that works with some of the most underprivileged children and youth in the Asia Pacific, particularly India and Nepal. And so I was doing a lot of this work already when the then CEO of Wipro, he noticed my work and he noticed that I was having these conversations with our customer CXOs as well. And uh, he recognized my work and nominated me to Wipro's Inclusion and Diversity Council, which is chaired by the CEO and has 12 of our senior most presidents of the company and SVPs of the company. And since then, that has lent, I would say, an official stamp to the work I have been doing around inclusion and diversity. So like I said, it's both a part of what I do and who I am. And I don't separate this from my everyday work to say that how do I make time for it? It comes naturally to me because I think that in today's day and age, and especially because of the pandemic now, existing inequalities have been exacerbated. And it is upon us, those of us who are privileged to have a voice, are privileged to have the space that they can make an impact. It is up to us to make change happen. And so I believe that whatever I can do to help somebody else or change mindsets, more importantly, I will make time for it. And I do. And it is something that gives me a lot of personal satisfaction and joy to see that change in mindsets is something that takes a lot of time. So when I'm able to see that I've been a small part in possibly making a change happen, that's personally very rewarding for me. So let me reframe the question a little bit, the later part of it. Is work-life balance, is it a myth or is it true? There are some entrepreneurs and some professionals who believe there is nothing like work-life balance. It doesn't exist. Whereas some very vigorously advocate for it. What's your take on it? Does it, does it exist? I don't think, Tarunjil, I can answer that question in that way because the things that I do, they are things that I believe in, whether it is at work, whether it is inclusion and diversity work. And so for me, if I'm doing the things that I love, if I'm doing the things that I enjoy and I find rewarding, then it doesn't strictly fall in the work category and kind of blurs the line between work and life. And so for me, it doesn't become difficult to balance between life and work because I'm pretty much treading a zone where, yes, I am doing something to 
further my career and I get paid for it. But I'm also simultaneously doing something that I know is helping change mindsets and helping bring new policies, et cetera, around inclusion and diversity. So for me, work-life balance is really not a challenge because I kind of mostly tread in between that line. But I also have to say, Tarunjit, I am possibly in a slightly privileged position because I chose not to have children. So I have a lot of time, which women my age at this time would possibly want to spend with their family, with their children. And I absolutely understand that and respect that decision. If I had children, I guess things would look differently because I would have more demands on my time, which I don't right now, which I'm able to plow back that energy and that time into others. So it works for me. Wonderful. On that note, I'll bring this conversation to a close. Thank you so much for spending time with us to speak to all our listeners today on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Tarunji, thank you so much for inviting me. But I have to say that through this process, this podcast and the panel that we did together, I got an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. And that's my takeaway from this. So if I've spent an hour, two hours doing these things for the community or for you, I take back from it different perspectives. I take back from it a new acquaintance is just going to be something that enriches me. So thank you so much for inviting me and thank you so much for the opportunity. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that brings us to the end of another episode of All About PR. And that was Bianca Ghosh giving us an insight into how she created a new role for herself and how you can follow suit. Would like to give a shout out to the good folks at PRPOI. This episode was brought to you via a special arrangement with them. Thank you again for tuning in today and we will see you next week for another interesting conversation from the world of communication.